You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your Bible, if you will, and find the book of Philippians. I know that the order of service, the bulletin says John 11, but I want us to look at the book of Philippians. We have been walking through uh, the Gospel of John as a church for several weeks um, as we have been preaching and teaching through that on Sunday mornings for several, several months, but we are in the midst of a uh, community coming together effort of local churches and pastors and leaders, uh, and beginning Monday of this past week was the beginning of setting aside uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, there are so many things that uh, this 21 days, I think, represents and, and, and can accomplish it is the idea of, of the church, people coming together, a picture of, of wonderful uh, biblical unity, you know, uh, that, that, that people are coming together in, in different places of worship and, and, and doing something together. It's the idea of fasting and praying, that we are saying that we are not going to do something that in and of itself is not bad, but I'm not going to do that in order that I may do something else. That's the key of fasting. The key of fasting is not, hey, I hadn't watched, I hadn't eaten ice cream for 21 days. No, it's, it's I'm not doing something so that I can do something else. And I'll get to that. Praying. I know all over the community there have been pockets of prayer meetings, some very spontaneous that have grown out of just a need. Uh, if you are familiar with the website that the churches that we've put together that's in your devotional thepursuit21.com the, the numbers 21 thepursuit21.com it lists the prayer sites that are all over our community at 6 30 in the morning and at lunchtime we host one here at noon but there have been spontaneous prayer meetings that have just crept up out of necessity and need which is you know they're, they're not on that site and that that's wonderful but I think the greatest thing about these 21 days is us getting real and right with God. Think about that. Even after one week, it, it, let me explain it this way. I've had many people come to me and say, Pastor, John, you who, you, in all kind of different settings. Boy, I'm so glad that I'm doing this. Because I'm doing this, and then they tell me a little story. I've never had anybody say this, well, this is worthless. Well, this was the worst week of my life. So I say that to encourage you. Some of you are not doing it. Some of you are doing it. I dare you to do it. You think differently. You talk differently. Your, your day is different. I, I think about me personally just at, at, at the same time every day, slowing down, seeking the face of God, and praying with other believers. 
It's remarkable. It's just 21 days that we've set aside. It's not a program. It's not a gimmick. The results, I'm selfish. The results to me are not out here. What we're going to accomplish is what God's going to do here. And if God gets, if I let God in here, this will take care of itself in my life. I'll be a great pastor, a great father, a, a great friend, a great, a great witnesser, a great everything. If I, get this, if I get me right, everything else just flows out of it. And so we've seen a, a, a great already, great little testimony. So I was thinking about that. Uh, I even had to come in this morning and apologize to Joy and say, Joy, I'm so sorry because you prepared for John 11. But we're not in John 11, but we prepared for Jesus, so we're good. So turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, 27. We're going to go through 2.18, but we're not going to cover it all in this setting. We're going to finish tonight. And so my goal is, as we look at a couple of these appeals this morning, and then as we come back tonight, I'll share with you, Sunday morning is very important in the life of the church, but I will say to you, Sunday night is just as important to me as your pastor. Uh, I love preaching to the multitudes on Sunday morning, but Sunday night is the, the time as a pastor that I love preaching and teaching the Word on a more intimate level. And so I know our schedules are hectic and we've got a lot of things going on, but I always try to encourage and challenge people. Give the Lord a day. Give them Sunday. You can get more accomplished if you will come back and worship and sit up under the Word on a regular basis on Sunday night than you could ever have done if you stayed home. And I'm just, that's from experience. So come back tonight and we'll, we'll finish this section. So let me ask you this. Well, let me make this statement. If you have been willing to, to, to fast and to pray and to seek him more, if you have been willing for God to do a work in your life, there are obviously a couple of things that I know has already happened. You understand who he is and his goodness, and his grace, and his mercy, and his love. His love for you, for, for sending a son. And we're in Romans chapter 8, and we'll be going into Romans 8 and into 9 on Wednesday night. And we, we, we see the love of God displayed so much because we are sinners in such a need of a Savior. And he sent his son. From the eternity past to eternity future, he had a plan, and that plan was salvation through his son. And so as we set aside time to pray, we're going to understand who he is. But secondly, we're also going to understand how that affects my life unto him. And being thankful and humble and gracious, being excited to live for him, looking at the world from a different perspective. The more I pray and the more I, I seek the face of God, the more I can see the world through God's perspective and not my perspective. And I can, I can get excited about who he is, but who I am in relationship to him. And so as we've walked through Philippians as a, as a community, literally, and walked through Philippians this day, day seven in our journey of 21 days, we're looking at this section of Philippians. A little bit's on the other day and a little bit's going to be the next day, but we're right here looking at what this means to us. 
And in this section of Philippians, it's the first exhortation, the first charge that, that Paul writes to the church of Philippi. It's kind of the, the heart and the spiritual meat of the letter of Philippians. And it's God's charge to us. If we, if we want to know him more and if we want to live our life based on that relationship with more passion and excitement, God lays out a plan and we could say appeals to what that looks like. And so I thought about that early this morning, and I think about 21 days is a long time. If you just think about for those that are going to the early morning, I've made a couple. I'm hosting a lot of it here at 12. That's a long time. But is it really? Is it that much of a sacrifice to understand more about who he is? And so I want to I lead into this as we open the text. So you go to Philippians. You may already be there. I need to get there. Philippians 127. It's a great time to remember this. We got this. We got it. We can do this. We're going to be all right. We're believers. He's on his throne. We've sung a lot about Jesus this morning. He's risen. He's alive. We got this. We got this because from God's word this morning, we know what we need to do. We got it. We just faithfully follow after Christ, do what the Lord is asking us to do, humbly submit ourselves to his lordship. We got it. We've also got it because I know I can do it. I can live out the principles laid out in God's word because I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and I'm a born-again believer. I can live this life out because he has already done it. He's not asking me to do something in and of my own self. He's asking me to do something based on what he has already accomplished. Have we ever thought about that? How can we share Christ with the nations because of the power of the word of God and the power of the spirit of God and the movement of the church of God? We can't preach Christ to the nations on our own flesh. Nobody will come to Christ through us. How can we live a life of holiness and righteousness unto the Lord? How can we do these things? How can we put off sin and take up righteousness? How can we say no to the world and yes to, to Christ? Because he's done this. And he's made the way of it. We got this, don't we? We don't look like we got it. We look, can I take a picture without being sacrilegious? Y'all don't look like people that have got it. We got this. He died on a cross for our sin and has given us new life in Christ. We can do this. Look at Philippians 1, 27. I have to be honest, as I was reading 127 in my own devotional time and reading the devotional, what I do is I'm reading the devotional and then reading the text and praying through the text. I had to, I had to text somebody early in the morning. You can always tell what, who's on my timetable. I found somebody that's on my same timetable because they text right back. And I text part of this verse to somebody that says, man, this is exciting. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, that from God. For it has been granted to you... 
that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now that I still have. Chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look on your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours where? In Christ Jesus. Who though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure do all things without grumbling and complaining and questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificing offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Lord God, thank you for the greatest gift beyond our salvation, I believe, your word. Thank you for the encouragement today that we know that that which you have started, you have brought to completion. Thank you for showing me today that I got it. I know what I need to be doing. I know I need to, how I need to be living. I know how to do the things I need to do because you have already done it. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would understand these appeals of steadfastness and unity and humility and obedience we would come to know you as our Savior and as our Lord and embrace these and cherish these and to live them out. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, if you look at it from a New Testament uh, homiletical aspect, it's the meat of Philippians. This section is the meat of Philippians. Uh, one of the major segments of Philippians is the first exhortation of Paul to the church of Philippi, and he is just pouring his life into the church where we know that those words were inspired by Paul, by God. So in a sense, God is pouring his life into his church with these appeals. Appeal one, to be steadfast. Now you think about it, to just to be steadfast, to, to do what you've been asked to do, just to live life. Sometimes we overthink things. 
That's why I enjoy a, a, a new person in the faith. They don't overthink things. A new Christian doesn't overthink things. They just know they've been saved. They know they've got the Holy Spirit. They know God is who God is. They trust this. They do that. And they live in such a way. And always the sad part of it, bad is that the longer they hang around us, they lose that fervor. Isn't that sad? A new faith is not something new, but it's, it's a refreshing of what it is, an appeal to steadfastness. We are saved and we are here. We've been commissioned. We've been called. We have a function. We have a purpose. God loves us. God wants to use us. Just be steadfast. Do what you should be doing and enjoying it. Paul's in prison when he wrote this. I always remind myself, I, I, as a pastor, I've gotten a lot of phone, more phone calls than I want from somebody in jail. Sometimes when you're in jail, you want to call the preacher instead of your parents. That's not bad, youth, but sooner or later, your parents are going to find out about it. He's in jail writing to a church, and he says, I've got such joy. What are you in jail for being a Christian? I've got such joy. And he says, I want you to be steadfast. Appeal one, steadfastness. Notice verse 27. <clears throat> verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So as we think about what does it mean to live this steadfast life? Well, we understand what it means to live worthy of the gospel. If we see that word played out in the Greek original language, it talks about live a life worthy of. It carries the idea. So think about this. Think about the Roman Empire. And to be a Roman citizen, and so even Paul was a Roman citizen, and you can remember that, I don't remember the actual text, Paul was arrested and beaten, and then when he came back before the court, he said, but you know I'm a Roman citizen. They went, oh my goodness, we beat a Roman citizen. You can't beat a Roman citizen like that. So he would say, I'm a Roman citizen. When you were a Roman citizen, that was kind of somebody. The, the, the language here is simply that. You're somebody. Live like you're somebody. You are literally a, a child of the king. And your citizenship is heaven. And we, we carry ourselves and we live our life in such a way that that is the most important thing to us. We always use silly examples about things that we enjoy and things that we love and things that we're passionate about. And we always know where we stand in those areas because we're passionate about it. And the word is just simply saying here, listen, live, first thing off the shoot is, okay, live your life worthy of the gospel it's an internal call an internal appeal you have got to do this but you can do it if you are saved you live your life worthy of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you I remember hearing a pastor one time talking about soul winning sharing your faith and I'm always oh my goodness you always get so nervous thinking about sharing your faith and what to say and how to say it and how to communicate it and he said if nothing else just walk up to somebody and say this is what happened to me how hard is that I go back to that brand new Christian I'm I don't know what happened but I know I'm I've been born again I always put an ed on born it sounds better I've been born again Live worthy of the gospel. 
Live your life in such a way that God is so large and magnified by your love for him and your devotion for him and your passion for him. It starts internally. Live your life worthy of the gospel. Do you ever think about how important the gospel is? That we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Spiritually, we were separated from God. Even though physically we are created in the image of God and we are, we are born and created and there's this, this, this general grace and favor upon all humanity and, you know, children are cute and sweet. They eventually grow up. But children, little babies are cute and sweet. My grandchildren are going to be the cutest and the sweetest. But spiritually, we are separated from God. It's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual separation from God because God spiritually is holy and perfect and just. And we are separated from that. And there's nothing we can do to make it right. You want to talk about trying to please someone you can never please. You can never satisfy the holiness of God no matter how hard we try. But there is someone that can and his name is Jesus. And so spiritually, we are separated from God for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus Christ, in his perfect self, he came and he lived among us and he died on the cross for our sin, taking the wrath of God because he was perfect. He could satisfy it so that we might be saved. That's the gospel. If we can't live worthy of that and be excited about what we have, God has done that for me. He sent his son for me. Jesus died for me. I mean, think about getting up at, I don't know what time, just think about if you do the 630 prayer meeting. Because a lot of people said, who came up with that 630 prayer meeting? Well, I mean, if you can leave your job at 12, come on down to 100 North Lake Avenue. We meet here at 12. I don't know if I can get up that early. You lay in bed and contemplate what hell looks like and heaven looks like and what Jesus did for you. That'll get you up. But I don't, I, I mean, I'm, I could, but I don't, uh, it's hard to live this life in the world. And it's just, it's hard for me to do the things I know Scripture wants me to do. And living the Christian life, it's just, I'm going to tell you what, when you lay, when you contemplate on what your separation from God looks like and what Jesus Christ did for you and what that looks like, we were talking about it on Wednesday night from eternity past to eternity future, God knows. And I think I can't do this or do that. Man, he is worthy. God, you are worthy. I'm still here. You're worthy. Live your life just worthy of the gospel. Give it, your life should bring worth to God and glorify God and, and magnify the goodness of God with all that we are. So he said, now notice it starts spiritually. Here's the appeal to steadfastness. So Live your life worthy of the gospel. If we don't get that right, I was in a, I was in a, uh, where I, one of the mornings I went, I'm, I'm not that I'm spiritual, I'm double dipping. I, maybe I need both of them. I'm going 6, 30, and 12 some days. And one of the groups I was, I was praying in, and, and uh, I just kind of like going in when you're not the pastor. But sooner or later, people recognize me. I'm going to start going in incognito just so I'm not the pastor. Everybody gets different when the pastor's around. And they, they were, a group was praying and help me do this, help me do that, help me, which is good, help me be a better witness, help me be a better this. And then somebody prayed, Lord, we can't do that until we get this right. And I was like, preach. 
I'll never be a better witness. I'll never be a better father. Nothing will ever happen externally in our life. Nothing will ever have an impact on our family, our friends, and our co-workers until my life is worthy before God. Our churches will never make an impact. We can pray and have programs and we can plan and we can do whatever we want to, but if internally our hearts are not right before God, our churches will never make an impact beyond a a program. Well, we did 21 days of this. Let's do 21 days of that and 42 days of this and 10 minutes of that and 62 seconds of that, and it becomes a life of ups and downs and ups and downs, when in essence, if we're living a life worthy of the gospel, we're skyrocketing all the way to heaven until he calls us home. Then he goes into these appeals. Live worthy of the gospel so that, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Here's that steadfast. I'm standing firm. I got this. I'm standing firm. Notice what it is, though, in one spirit. Here's what makes the, the Christian message so wonderful. The only, this is what it makes the Christian message of Jesus Christ, the biblical Christianity, to all the other stuff out there. The moment that we get saved, we have the Spirit of God abiding within us. The moment. That's what I stand in. How, how discouraging would it be if, like, if Matt were to say, okay, I'm a believer, and I'm standing firm because... Pastor John's my pastor. Good luck. I'm standing firm because you're part of the church. So I, I'm standing firm in, in you, in, in this church, in this denomination. I'm standing firm because you're part of my life. Well, good luck. No. I'm standing firm in one spirit, my Redeemer, my Savior, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's what I stand in. That's where I make my my stand in who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ and what the gospel represents and God the Father sending, Jesus coming, the Spirit convicting, all of this works together and I'm standing firm. My, my salvation, my sanctification, justification, glorification, all the words that talk about the process of salvation and living this side of heaven is because of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and that's where I make my stand. For those in the military, you know, it's every now and then you say, this, this is where we're going to make our stand. I love watching the old World War II movie. This is where Battle of the Bulge protects this ridge. This is where I make my stand. With one mind striving, so we're, we're living, we're standing individually. Now we're striving together. See, that's the thing about being a Christian. We're not in this alone. That's what makes it so wonderful. It is a relationship that I have personally with me and my father, but it's a relationship that we're adopted into the family of God. What a great family we have. On on, on the afternoons at 12, we're having people come in from different churches, different backgrounds, different colors, different ages. We're having babies. Their prayers are ooh and a ah and a gurgle and a cry. 
We have senior adults. We have white. We have black. We have everywhere in between. And we're a family. Different churches, different pastors, different stuff. But we are a family and we should be striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Sometimes we strive, but we strive. You know, it'd be a good, a good thing to think about. It. And us as pastors have talked so much about this. We're not striving side by side for 21 days of prayer and fasting and the website. We're not striving side by side because we're going to fast for 21 days and we're going to make a big deal out of it. And everybody's going to think we're spiritual and holy because we're meeting all over the community and we're fasting and praying. Look at us, look at us, look at us. No, we are striving for 21 days for the sake of the God. Gospel. And the only way that's going to make a difference if it were striving together for the gospel. Could you imagine what would happen if every church began to strive side by side for the gospel? If every family strived side by side for the faith of the gospel. Then it goes on to say, you're living, you're standing, you're striving. And you're not frightening anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Don't, don't leave that out. We're living, we're standing, we're striving, and we're not frightened. That word not frightened carries the idea that that does not mean that we're not ever afraid. Or worried a little bit or a little anxious or that, you know, we just, you know, because I think sometimes if we think, well, I should never be anxious, I should never be worried, I should never, I think in a season we can be all of those things. I'm a grown man and I have, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Marine and I have guns in my house. Does that make you think less of your pastor? I have guns in my house. And I'm an expert third award in the United States Marine Corps. Process that for a little bit. If you know a burglar, tell him don't come in my house. I'm a good shot. But every now and then, you know, just sitting around the house alone. I'm the man, but I'm alone. And I hear a noise. I'm like, oh, hey, oh. I start calling the cats. Now, what's the cat going to do? Isn't that funny? We go get the cat. What in the world is an 18-pound cat going to do when an axe murderer comes in the house? I don't know. It's like... You're a little frightened there. I heard something. I don't know what that. And so that doesn't mean that I'm just afraid and I'm scared. And I think sometimes in our Christian life, we think, okay, the pastor said, I'm never supposed to be worried and I'm never supposed to be anxious. And then something happens and we're worried. We're angry. Oh, my goodness, I must not be saved. Oh, my goodness, I'm not a good Christian. No. We all face anxiety and worry and fear. I mean, every time I go to the doctor now, I didn't know it was going to be so fun to be 50 and up. You're 20, you just go to the doctor, you just go to the doctor. Now you're like, oh my goodness, what's going to be wrong now? They say it gets a lot funner. <laughs> Always wondered why I would see somebody in the doctor's office with like a backpack of medicine. Now I get it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being a little anxious and worried as things happen. But here's the key. Stand firm. All right, remind yourself. I don't need to worry. Be anxious for nothing, but all things in prayer and supplication with the spirit of thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. Just remind yourself. 
Don't be frightened. Don't live a, a frightened life. Stand firm. Strive together. Live worthy. We don't have to be a, afraid. The ultimate enemy is the devil. Stand firm to the devil and he'll understand who you're following. It's about fellowship and lordship and who we obey. Just don't be frightened. Live the life with faith and confidence, standing on the Word of God, embracing the Spirit of God, and living that life out. You can do it. When temptation comes, somebody asked me as a pastor, what's the difference between a trial, which could be of God, and temptation, which would be for the devil? And I'm going to tell you how spiritual I am. Sometimes I don't know the difference. Is this a trial? Is this person like the thorn in Paul's flesh, a trial? Or is this just a flat-out demon from Satan? Well, I don't go up to that person. I'd like to ask you some diagnostic questions. Are you a trial or a temptation? I do the same thing, okay? The Word of God is obvious when it's not of the Lord, but I do the same thing. I stand firm in my faith. If it causes me not to do what I need to do according to God's Word, I just flee from it. It's not hard. We have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, everything we need. It's isn't like a, 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 a test we can never pass. Stand firm in the faith. Strive together for the faith of the gospel. Don't be frightened by the opponent. He's already been defeated. He knows it. That'd be like me standing before you with a Georgia shirt that said national champions. How ridiculous would that be? It'd be ludicrous. We're not frightened. Because we live worthy of the gospel. And we're standing firm in the faith. And we're striving for the sake of the gospel. Secondly, we're going to look at two this morning. There's an appeal for steadfastness, but also there's appeal for unity. So now it's like the Lord, he's going internally, he's getting in our heart. Okay, here's you, here's others. It manifests itself out. My relationship with the Lord must be right. Our relationship with the Lord needs to be right. Individually and as the church. So here's an appeal of unity. So, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any petition in spirit, any affection and sympathy, can meet, complete my joy of being the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and in one mind. Do nothing. Sometimes I always ask myself, what does, that, what does nothing mean? Do nothing for robbery or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only his own interest, but also the interests of others. Here's this appeal to unity. It piggybacks this appeal to steadfastness. There are three relationships we got to get right. You got to keep them right. You got to keep them in order. And in order to keep them right, you got to do them in the right way. We're unified because of Christ. Look at verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, as you find your encouragement in Christ, as you see what we have in Christ, you can do this. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, sympathy, same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. You see this oneness here? There's a, there's a relationship with, I'm unified, I, I appeal to unity because of who I am in Christ. Now sometimes we think about the Christian life and it would be like a pecking order. Like a, a, an Old Testament lineage. We've got 
Your pastors were like the Old Testament priest, okay? Then we have our, our church leadership and our ordained leadership in the church and trickles down and, and there's like a, like a pecking order of, of more spiritual and more close and more accessibility and we got all that and we come on down here and I don't know how we get fiddled out on down in here. But if we're not careful, we look at it that way. Oh, if I could just... No, that's not how it works. Each and every one of us are one in Christ and Christ is one in us. Several weeks ago on Sunday night, we looked at union with Christ. Literally, the moment that, that, that we are born again, we are one with Christ. And Christ is one with us. That's even hard to process, isn't it? It's not like a, a, a tangible... I think sometimes we look at our spiritual life as some tangible thing out there that we, we've got to achieve or we've got to get to. It's like there, the spiritual disciplines that we have, read your Bible, go to church, pray, give, witness, all the things that we encourage people to do is not so that we can obtain that relationship with Christ. It just magnifies the relationship that we have. When someone comes in my office and their life is a train wreck, has your life ever been a train wreck? Somebody said, what does that mean? It is a mess. Another way of saying it is my, one of my favorite, a dumpster fire. Google dumpster fire. It's ugly. That would have been me walking in Milner Baptist Church in 1988 and going, listen, Brother Landy, my life's a, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how much I love the 80s. He said, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, he would say, it doesn't matter. Because if you're saved, you're one with Christ. Really? One with Christ. We're unified together as a church because we are one with Christ. One with Christ. One with Christ. One with Christ. Let me read some scripture. To save time, I printed them out. 2 Corinthians 5.17. For those that log on to the pastorjohn.com website, all this is on here. For those that don't know, I provide my sermon notes every Sunday morning and Sunday night. It's just easier for you to follow. You can open it up on your smartphone or tab as you're here on Sunday morning. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what does that mean? Well, I'm in Christ. There's a, there's a, a oneness there. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the, the new has come. So if anyone is in Christ, I'm in Christ. Colossians 1, 27. To them, God chose to make known how great... Among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I am in Christ. Colossians 1.27, Christ is in me. A, a young person would say, I'm letting Jesus into my heart. Yes, he's there, and I am in him. Oneness, unity. You know, it's easy to say when someone's not living out the Christian life, ain't no Jesus in there. How do you know someone's living the great life? Christ is in you. A little silly way I always thought about that. I know when Sharon and I were dating, Sharon and I dated in high school. I used to just get kind of, even though how guys just get so silly around girls. Oh, I'm like, what in the world? Because you're in love and you just get all silly. Listen, when you're hanging out with Jesus, you're different. I'm going to tell you that. And when you're not hanging out with Jesus, you're a lot different too. Because Christ is in you. You are in Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with who? Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. John 15, 4 and 5, abide in me. Words of Jesus, abide in me and I in you. What a relationship. He abides in me. I abide in him. I've got the spirit of God, the word of God, the people of God. I've got everything and I'm abiding in Christ. And Christ abides in me. No wonder we can scream out, I got this. I'm one with him. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Stop doing it on your own flesh, in your own spirit, in your own way, and abide in Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. It is he that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The other two relationships for biblical unity. Am I unified with Christ? With ourself. Goes on to say, have this mind, have this love, be of one accord with self, my mind, with my ambitions. Uh, no longer is it self-promotion and self-worth and self-anything. I myself am being unified in Christ, and I want the mind of Christ, the will of Christ, and I'm going to follow Christ. It is no longer about what I think I need. It's about what he has already provided for me, and my number one relationship becomes him. And then third, there's another relationship, others. So this is what the world would say. It's about me, it's about others, then God fits in. That's where the world is. Put God down the middle, your God, my God, you make your God, whatever you want to do, your God. A believer, a biblical believer, a Christ-honoring believer, it is God first, then others, then us. Do nothing rivalry or conceit but in humility the ultimate example of humility is Jesus Christ leaving the throne of glory we're going to look at that tonight and coming down to us let each of you look at your own interest but the interest of others could you imagine the world that we lived in if we that just have our name on church rolls all throughout Highlands County would put him first and others second and us last. Could you, I, I can't imagine. It, it, it's such a far-fetched, I guess it'd be like heaven. I don't know what it would be like. I've never really experienced it more than just short seasons. That's why we do 21 days of setting aside stuff to seek him. We're asking for life change. We're asking the Lord, show me more of who you are so I know more how I need to live based on that relationship with you. Then you would see a sense of steadfastness in our life and a sense of unity in our life where Christ is Lord and that's all that matters and other people and where they are in Christ is above everything else. You know, some of the most disunified groups I've ever seen are in a Baptist church. I don't know if you're a snowbird visiting with us, whatever church you're from. You ever notice that in a Baptist church? 
Well, we get mad when somebody gets our parking spot and our seat on the pew. I can't imagine what we do out in the world we live in. Twenty-one days. Just seeking the Lord, praying, letting go of something. Letting go of something that's not wrong. I mean, I tell you, stop letting go of something you shouldn't do anyway. You know, let go of something that, you know, there are things I've just let go of. Things I'm doing, collecting, I'm just letting go of. And instead of that thing, instead of that, you know, someone says, well, I guess I won't binge watch Netflix for 18 hours a day. Okay, that's great. Pray those 18 hours a day. Don't go away from Netflix 18 hours a day and then just go to Instagram for the same amount of time. Let go of something and replace that with who we are in Christ. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ did what he said he did? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he is able to do what he has said he has come to do? We got this. I mean, we, what a great day to live as a Christian than today. What a great opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in our high schools and in our communities. I can't think of a better day to be a missionary in America. He said, just be steadfast, be unified, be humble, be obedient, and go live a life worthy of me. Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much for the gift of your word this morning. We are so grateful that you are able, that you have come, that you have lived, that you have died, that you have rose again, that you're at the right hand of the Father, that one day you will come again and make all things new. And so, Lord, as we contemplate your word, as we sing, as we reflect, as we ponder, let today be the day of our salvation. Let, as we have even sat here today and listened to your word and, and responded to the convicting power of the spirit of the word, let today be the day that we make known the day of our salvation. Lord, let the day be the day they come to you. And this we pray in Jesus' name.